many African countries have inherited systems from the West. Many of our countries are reliant on people outside their own country or outside um, the continent even uh, to provide uh, funding. We tend to be uh, recipients of whatever it is that they are willing to give. We become price takers. We really need to be much more imaginative, much bolder in terms of setting our objectives over the next 20 to 30 years. Hello everyone, welcome to Development Reimagined's easy to digest video on podcast series Africa Unconstrained, supported by Quartz Africa, an essential online source for understanding the forces shaping our world. Our aim with Africa Unconstrained is to explore African perspectives on the continent's new era, especially in the context of a post-COVID-19 world. If you don't already know Development Reimagined, we are a leading independent and African-led international development consultancy with our headquarters in China and with offices in Kenya and the UK. Our mission is to provide new ideas and solutions to deal with the complexity of global poverty and climate change. And it's a mission our diverse team strives for daily. I'm Ovigwe Igwegu, and without further ado, for this session, I'm very excited to be here with our distinguished guest, Andrew Ali, to help reveal his unique perspective on Africa's 55 varied economies and how to protect and revitalize their growth in a COVID-19 context and possibly with China. Andrew Ali is a finance professional with over 30 years of experience. He is the CEO of Southbridge Group, a Pan-African investment bank. Prior, prior to this, he was the president and CEO of the African Finance Corporation, a multilateral financial institution focused on improving Africa's critical infrastructure. Now, Andrew, I want us to start off our question with our conversation with a number. If there was one number you think every African should be aware of with regards to Africa's economies in a post-COVID-19 context, what would it be and why? Hi, Ovigui. Uh, good to meet you and thanks for interviewing me. Um, the number that comes to my mind is uh, 15 million. Uh, that's the number of uh, new people entering the workforce every year across Africa, and therefore the number of new jobs that need to be provided uh, by African governments or in Africa just to keep the employment situation where it is today. Um, this is part of a wider um, you know, population growth uh, statistic uh, which is that the population of Africa on current trends is due to increase from about a billion today to about 2.4 billion in 2050. That's in just 30 years time. Um, and, you know, our continent has to get ready. Uh, this is obviously assuming birth rates don't fall, but even if they do, we're still already locked into a, a very sharp increase in population. So not only jobs, um, <clears throat> but also infrastructure to support that, um, that level of population growth. Um, and this is hard infrastructure from power, roads, housing, through to softer infrastructure like healthcare, education, 
um, social security, all those things uh, need to be boosted and we don't have much time to do it. So as part of this, we have to rethink or to use your terminology, reimagine how we're looking at the uh, industrialization of uh, Africa. Technology is meaning that you, know, you, you, you need even fewer people to produce the same goods as you did in the past. And therefore, um, and that's why you're seeing you know, what's called reshoring, where manufacturing that left, say, the US to go to East Asia because of cheap labor is now actually going back to the US because, because with automation, you don't need the labor or as much labor anymore. You know, we need to think about what industrialization in the 21st century means. And to me, that means um, looking for uh, other areas where you can, uh, you know, and if you think about what manufacturing does for an economy, uh, especially export-led, right, it, 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 mm. it, it, it sort of puts you into an internationally tradable market, which forces you to compete, it forces you to innovate, it forces you uh, to be amongst the best in the world. That drives up your own worker productivity. And really, at the end of the day, you can only increase uh, how wealthy you are as a country if your average worker's um, productivity goes up. It also means that you have to, you know, be continuously learning and improving, which also means that you, your, your productivity continues to move up the curve and catch up to some extent with what's, what's abroad. Now, when you look at that, I think that, um, you know, people need to look at uh, how you can start to trade services. So, um, you know, the internet allows us to uh, be sitting in Lagos, which is where I am today, and, you know, communicating with people in Abuja or China or wherever. And this has allowed people to start to sell their services uh, over the net. So that is certainly one, uh, one aspect that they can do. There are other things that are, um, also bring in sort of international tradability, uh, but which are not so, so big in, in Asia. So um, uh, agro-processing could be one, uh, tourism could be another, um, financial services and trading within Africa as opposed to outside Africa could be another. And of course, the AFCTA is a good, um, is a good uh, avenue to, to get that last point going. But, but my, my, um, my fundamental point is that uh, really, uh, we really need to be much more imaginative, much bolder in terms of setting our objectives over the next 20 to 30 years uh, to accommodate this wave of uh, people coming into our workforce. Thank you, and yes, that's a perfect number to kick off our, converse, our discussion today. We, we know that Afri Afri every African country has a different history, a different debt profile and financial needs going forward. Nevertheless, let's see if we can explore and reveal an African perspective on debt, on, on debt a bit more. My question is, are there any long-term solutions to financing deficits in Africa whilst avoiding debt distress? So, um... This actually, in a way, ties in uh, with the last question that I uh, answered. In order to um, push uh, the various um, uh, sectors and the, the sort of post uh, the, or the, the 21st century industrialization that I was talking about 
uh, African governments need to invest in things like um, infrastructure, uh, education, because you need to educate your workforce uh, to the point where uh, it can become globally uh, competitive, as well as, you know, providing healthcare and other services to this growing uh, population that I was talking about. Um, and uh, as we've seen, many African countries are already uh, running deficits uh, without these investments. And again, when you look at numbers provided by the African Development Bank, for example, they talk about uh, uh, an infrastructure investment deficit in excess of $100 billion per annum. Um, and that's just to catch up your infrastructure to where you know it should be. So um, borrowing and deficits is something that um, I think uh, could be uh, on the scene for quite a while. And it's important for governments to really think very hard about this. Of course, um, the best way of managing your, your deficit and avoiding debt distress is really to um, reduce the deficit. Um, so, so, you know, I think that's the first step. And, and that's one thing that I often see countries not doing is really how to manage their deficit. How do you manage um, your spending? It's not that you necessarily have to cut your spending, but you need to make sure that the spending that you, ha you, you, you do make, especially the deficit, deficit spending, is an investment in that it actually drives your GDP growth at a rate higher than the interest rates you're paying on those debts. If not, then your debts will continue to accumulate and, uh, and you know, could eventually cause uh, debt distress. So, so the first thing is really to think about what you're spending on. Uh, is it as efficient as you can be? Are you spending on unnecessary things? Um, the things you are spending on, especially your deficit, uh, is it actually, uh, are they actually things which are driving uh, productivity and uh, productive growth? So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is really then to look at um, the source of income. So again, um, many African countries have inherited systems from the West, uh, whether it's from you know, their formal, uh, former colonial powers or just ideas that have been taken from the West. So for example, um, the tax systems in many countries is largely a, a direct tax system where people are paying income taxes, etc. Now this is um, this works very well in in a society uh, where most of the economy is formal. But in in our countries, a large proportion of the economy is informal. Uh, in some estimates, up to fifty percent of economic activity takes place in the informal uh, economy, and therefore um, systems like you know pay as you earn. Uh, type tax systems for personal income tax collection and uh, corporate taxes for corporate uh, income tax collection are not really touching uh, a lot of the population. Now, a lot of our populations live in poverty and probably can't pay taxes or any significant amounts of taxes, but there are quite a lot of people in the informal sector who do earn quite a bit. And uh, we need to think about um, more imaginative ways of, uh, of taxing 
so that we can touch um, these people. Uh, Nigeria, where I live, has a tax to GDP ratio of about six or seven percent. This allegedly is the lowest in the world um, and really means that even though we have uh, a debt to GDP ratio of less than 30 percent, which in normal cases would be regarded as, as absolutely fine, uh, people are worried about um, our level of debt sustainability. I don't think we're at a problem at a problem point yet, but you know people are worried because our debt service uh, to income ratio is very high, and the number uh, varies, but definitely is somewhere sort of in the um, seventy percent plus at, at this point of time. So in short, we're spending seventy percent of our government income servicing debt, which is not a good position to be in. Um, so, so Nigeria is a case in point, but this applies you know, in many other African countries that we need to think about uh, widening uh, the tax base. Um, we also need to think about uh, increasing domestic savings. Again, many of our countries are reliant on people outside their own country, or outside um, the continent even uh, to provide uh, funding. This either comes in the form of um, funding from uh, development partners like the World Bank and the IMF, uh, or it comes from bilateral funding, so China providing funding, or the US or Germany or whomever, um, or it comes uh, in the form of um, commercial funding, you know, countries issuing bonds and things like that. Um, but a large part of this, as I said, you know, seems to come from offshore. Uh, this means that, uh, one, we obviously run uh, foreign currency exposure issues because we have to service these uh, offshore debts in dollars or other currencies. Uh, secondly, it means that we become price takers uh, because we are not setting our own pricing through our own domestic um, savings. Uh, we have to accept the pricing that um, foreigners put on us, and they often put you know, very huge Africa risk uh, premiums uh, onto the price of financing that, uh, that they charge. Now, we can have a long discussion about how valid or not uh, those risk premia are, but it's sure that you know, people who are within a country or in close proximity uh, will have a more refined way of looking at the risks involved in that uh, country than people you know, living thousands of miles away, you know, maybe relying on uh, international news agencies uh, for their understanding of what's going on. And as you know, uh, news tends to get sensationalized because that's what people watch. Um, so uh, increasing domestic savings is, is also something that uh, we need to do. Now, this is a lot easier said than done because how to increase uh, domestic savings is, is something that, um, that takes a long time, involves some cultural shifts, but also implies that um, a very strong uh, macroeconomic environment uh, needs to be created and a very strong <clears throat> you know, business climate and investor-friendly uh, environment needs to be created because to attract your own domestic um, investors and to get people to put their funds into the system, especially in Africa where people tend to be poorer and more vulnerable, uh, 
um, you actually need to create a very safe environment for them to do this. Um, they need to uh, earn a rate of uh, interest or rate of return that is higher than inflation, which means you probably need to fight inflation um, because if they're not earning above inflation, essentially the value of their money is declining uh, every year they're saving it and therefore the incentive to save it is actually much lower. Um, you need to ensure that there are saving product, pro products uh, because just as, um, just as the people who live in a country or who live close to a country are better able to ascertain the risks and make judgments about them, it also means that they're more knowledgeable about the traps and what isn't working. And so governments need to ensure that they do this. And then it needs to be quite a coordinated program. But if we can do these things, uh, it will mean that we become much more masters of our own fate in terms of our ability to borrow, in terms of our ability to fund, in terms of our ability to invest uh, in the things that uh, we need to invest in over the next few years for the reasons I've said earlier. Um, and this is, of course, not to say that we won't continue uh, to borrow from places like China, the World Bank, IMF, and, and other bilateral or multilateral uh, lenders, or even go to the commercial markets. Uh, but it does um, help us to generate alternatives, which puts us in a much stronger position uh, when we go and tap into those alternatives to get better pricing and better terms. So I, I want to understand your insights on Africa-China relationship and again help reveal a forward-looking African perspective for our viewers and listeners. So my question is, it's a, it's a big question. What do you think is the biggest gap in Africa's strategy towards China and how do you think this gap should be filled in a practical way? As, as we've seen over the last few years, although it has attracted its... Uh, its share of controversy, but um, China has also been very willing to invest in uh, the development of African countries, particularly in the development of large-scale uh, infrastructure projects. Uh, for me, I think that um, what China does is that it provides uh, competition and alternatives uh, to um, what existed before. And uh, as we're taught in economics, competition is good, uh, because it reduces uh, prices and uh, gives uh, consumers more choice, and it's, it's the same uh, in terms of um, in terms of financing. Um, having said that, I think that um, one of the problems that I see uh, with um, the relationship between Africa and African countries uh, with China. And, and by the way, this, this issue is not just an issue with China, but is actually an issue in a lot of the relationships um, offshore uh, with, with other parties. But uh, I'll, I'll talk about China today because that's a question you asked, is that there's a lack of um, strategy in, in, in the way we interact uh, with, with, with this country. Um, so we tend to be uh, recipients of whatever it is that they are willing to give, uh, rather than um, people who have a strategy and who are looking for what they need, uh, what they have determined they need from the best source, uh, amongst which would be China. So for example, 
um, uh, technology transfer. I mean, you know, it's one thing to build railways or build roads or build hospitals, etc. Uh, but in doing that, we need to ensure that we are getting uh, the right technology transfer and the right upgrade of skills uh, for our own people. The second point is that, you know, we need to have our own um, uh, economic development, economic and social development plans, uh, economic um, and social uh, practices in terms of how we, we intend to implement those plans. And then we should look around the world uh, for the best um, provider of whatever it is we need. Uh, very often, um, you know, people who are investing in us or who are, you know, providing uh, financial support, whether it's multilateral institutions, whether it's countries, uh, are very, uh, what I would call, supply-driven. So they sit in their capital and decide that, you know, we want... Uh, to invest in, you know, renewable power or railways or ports in Africa. And then they come to, you know, African countries and say, look, you know, we'll give you X billion uh, to, you know, do a, a renewable power station, which may be what the country needs or it may not be what the country needs. But very often when there's money being, um, being provided, uh, the countries will accept that. Uh, I think it's a lot better if, if it works the other way around and the country determines that, okay, we need to put a 100 megawatt uh, renewable plant here and then goes to look for the best, um, the best option. You know, and that option would include uh, who is supplying the technology, the cost at which the technology is being supplied, the financing that comes with it and the technology transfer amongst other things that I mentioned. Um, you know, that, that source may be China, it may be some other country, um, but I think that that, that more strategic, uh, proactive approach, uh, you know, determining what your own future should look like in, 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 in terms of work for you, I'm going to seek the best solution for that, um, is probably the best way uh, to manage your relationships, not just with China, uh, but also, as I said, with other countries and other power blocks as well. Thank you, Andrew, for joining our session. It is very important that our audience understands what an African perspective is on these issues. So we really appreciate you speaking with us today on behalf of our audience and on behalf of our audience. And if they would like to understand your perspective in more depth, what should they turn to? Uh, they can go to my, country, uh, my company's uh, website. Uh, I work for Southbridge Group and the website is www.southbgroup.com so be like boy and uh, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Thank you very much. Thank you and thank you to our audience. Please do follow us at www.developmentreimagine.com and on Twitter at devreimagine and our partner quotes at www.qz.com forward slash Africa. Thank you all for joining and see you next time.